All righty, let's all stand. We're going to be in John chapter 6, same chapter. We're going to go backwards tonight to the first verse, first 15 verses. And uh, this is when Jesus feeds the 5,000, chapter 6, verse 1. And I've already preached this once this year. I've preached out of this scripture, I preached it back around Thanksgiving when I talked about you have to give till it, till it makes it, till you feel it. And the little boy in the, in the story here, he gave and he felt it, felt it. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, the, whole, the whole deal here. And so uh, let's begin reading. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes. It's kind of interesting. He's like, here it is. Uh, But that'll never work. And that's kind of the way we are. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So it's just counting the men here. They think there's close to 20,000 people here, maybe. Where am I at? Jesus then took Jesus Okay, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear and see the character of God in this miracle. We've been seeing the different characteristics of God as we've gone through this, and I pray tonight that we would see that one more time. And know that you can do the big things in our lives. We've seen that you can do the little things. We've seen that you do things uh, that, are, that are special just to us. But you seek to do big things in the people around us. And so, Father, help us tonight to see what our part is in that. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Each of the miracles that we have shown, uh, that we have talked about, shows the different characteristics of God. Uh, we're, we're, as we see these, we're seeing the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, and what God looks like. When, when he turned the water into wine, we see that God cares about the little things that we care about. Uh, Tim was talking Wednesday night that one Sunday, one of these projectors went out. And he said, while we were in prayer time, he said he was praying, God, could you just fix that projector? And he said, immediately it came back on. And so those are little things and God cares about us in the little things. And last Sunday, uh, we see that, that G, that God comes and he, and he takes away all the excuses that we have in our life, all the excuses that we had to keep sinning. He takes those away. And then last Sunday night, 
We learn that God is everywhere. Time and space do not hold him. He is here. He's working in our church. He's working in churches around us. He's working in, in, uh, in people's lives where you work, at your school or whatever. He inhabits the temple of the body. And so God is everywhere. And then this morning we learn that God sees us. God is in the storm with us. God is hip deep with us. He's right there in the, in, the, in the storm and he sees us and he is there. And so tonight we're going to see that God can do the big things. Not only can God do the little things, not only does God do uh, things in our personal lives, but God does things in the corporate body. God can do things uh, miraculous in a town, in a village, among a large group of people. And I think maybe sometimes we need to see that God seeks to do some big things. And I think sometimes we settle for small things when maybe God's thinking that he wants to do bigger things. The first miracle showed that nothing's too small for God. And this second miracle, this last miracle that we're talking about shows that there's nothing too big for God. The Bible says that there was 5,000 men and they didn't count the women and children. So there may have been about 20,000 people there, about three times the population of Marshfield. That's quite a few people. Imagine all the people in Marshfield. I, I was reading about how many how many feet that you uh, allot in a banquet for one person. And if you're having a banquet dinner, they allot 13 and a half feet for each person for, for if you're going to be serving people. That's how many square feet it takes to serve one person. And so they, uh, whoever I was reading was talking about this particular miracle, and they said that they would take at least seven acres of land to comfortably feed these people. I imagine it was more than that. Can you imagine seven acres of just solid people? And how many waiters would it take or waitresses would it take to serve 20,000 people? I was over at Sheila's today and I don't know how many waiters and waitresses they had and they wasn't keeping up with everybody. And they're sure wasn't, well, there was close to 20,000 over there it looked like now, but it was full. But, but just think about that. And think how many porta potties they should have had there. It'd be a bunch. And you start thinking about the logistics of what it would take to get 20,000 people together. And Jesus pulls it off with no previous notice. He didn't have it on his calendar, you know, weeks ahead of time. Everybody come. It just happened. It just happened. And with God, you never can tell what's going to happen. And lots of times, and we do, and I think, it's, I think we should, we plan like for the great turkey giveaway. We plan and plan and plan. There's all kinds of planning that goes in that. But do you think that maybe God might just off the cuff want to do something big in our town? Might want to come and just roll in on the town of Marshfield and just his Holy Spirit drive people to the altars, not only in our church, but churches all over town. Do you think that God might want to do a big thing? That God might want to do a big revival if we, like Michelle, just started praying with expectancy? Just seeing the big picture instead of just uh, settling for little miracles within our own home, which is great and which is wonderful? But maybe if we started thinking and praying and seeking and, and expecting, God might come in and roll in and do a mighty miracle. In the world we live in, uh, we don't think like that. We just kind of think of, of our own and what we can do. But this whole thing started when one person gave what they had. One person gave what they had. 
In the world we live in, we think that if I give more, then I'm going to have less. Have you ever thought of that? We think about if I give this, then I'm not going to have that anymore and I won't be able to have that back. And so if I give more, then I will have less. You know that in the equation of Jesus, the more you give, the more left over there is. This little boy gave five loaves and two fish and 20,000 people ate and he had more than when he started. He didn't have less, he had more. And we think that if I do this, I'm going to have less for me. But Jesus shows us that when we give what little we have, that it changes things. I talked about Andrew as I was reading this. Andrew doesn't have much faith. He kind of says, oh, you know, we got this, but that'll never work. He doesn't think it'll be enough to do any good at all. Apparently, nobody else thought what they had would help either. Have you ever thought, what I have to give is just too small? What I have to give is never going to change anything. What I have to offer is never going to have a big effect on anything. Apparently, in 20,000 people, there was only one kid that thought that his gift would mean anything. And I have to think that in 20,000 people, there was some more food than just five loaves and two fish. If there were any moms there, I guarantee you there was a Ziploc bag of Cheerios somewhere or another. If there was some little old kid there somewhere, there was some box of Cheerios, or there'd be somebody like Linda Dickinson that had a bag full of hard candy that was there, and, and nobody gave it up. Nobody gave it up. Have you ever thought what would have happened if somebody would have gave a little more? What would have happened? But one person didn't look at the whole crowd and say, what I have would never help here. They just said, God, you take it and do whatever you want to with it. I think sometimes we see the need and it seems so big that we think my little whatever I have to give would never have any effect on it. And when God has it, it multiplies and changes and becomes bigger. The little boy didn't let what he didn't have keep him from giving. Did you hear what I said? The little boy didn't let what he didn't have keep him from giving. I think sometimes we think, well, if I had more, I'd give more. He didn't have anything, and he gave what he had. In God's equation, it's not what you have, it's what you give. And many people think, well, a little bit won't matter. My little Sunday school class just doesn't matter. My little group that I have just doesn't matter. I'll never be able to reach every kid in town, so I'm not going to try to reach any. Well, that's dumb. You should give what you have. My little, my little disciple group isn't going to change the world. You know what? It might. I was over in Papua New Guinea, and the missionary there grew up through Phil Rhodes Church. Grew up. And her, she married the guy, she married a guy, and he is the guy that runs that hospital in Papua New Guinea. And they serve 60,000 patients a year. Phil Rhodes' church runs about 200 people. Hasn't been a, uh, it's been a, it's been a real solid church, but it's not like, you know, mega church or anything like that. Just a church in a small town in Garnett, Kansas, that comes and the people come and they meet every week just like you. And they share life together just like you. And you might think, what in the world would happen in a little church like that that would have an effect on the world? That little girl grew up, married a doctor, 
And they serve together in Papua New Guinea and literally are changing the lives of thousands of people. The little gift that that church gave has a big effect. You never know who's going to come up through the the ranks of your Sunday school class or through your teen group or through the church. Who's going to get called to preach or who's going to do... You never know. You never know what the little gift that you have to give is going to happen or change. A little bit in your hands will not make a difference. But a little bit in God's hands makes a big difference. Think about that. Where will the stuff, where will your stuff do the most good? In your hands or in God's hands? So whose hands should we be putting our stuff in? Whose hands should we be allowing to take care of the things that we have? If Jesus can do way more with it than I can, shouldn't he have more of my stuff, more of my time, more of my money? If he can do more with it than I can, why wouldn't I let him do it? If you're a businessman or a businesswoman and you have an employee who outperforms everybody else in the place, you put your time and your effort and your resources into that person. That's what we should be doing with Jesus. Jesus can do more with everything we have than we possibly could, and so shouldn't we be letting him have control of the things that we have? If the boy had held on to his five loaves and his two fish, what would he have had? Lunch for one person. You ever think about that? He'd have had five loaves and two fish, and in about 15 minutes, he'd have had nothing. But when he gave it to Jesus, it became one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. People read about this. This has been preached around the world today. I guarantee you I'm not the only pastor that preached this today. Around the world, for years and years and years, the little gift of the five loaves and the two fish have been preached. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? You ever think about that? One little boy, one little gift, fed 20,000 people, and people have talked about it forever and will talk about it till eternity. One little gift. Do you not think that God wants to do that again? Do you think that he just, in all of history, he said, I'm just going to do that one time. I'm not ever going to do that again. I don't think it's that God wants to not do it anymore. I think there's not very many that want to give like the little boy did. There's not many that want to give all that they had. When I was in Papua New Guinea, I told you about Dr. Jim. That's somebody who's given all that he's had. One doctor that gave his whole career of being a general surgeon gave up thousands and thousands of dollars he could have earned. And God has taken him, and nearly everybody in Papua New Guinea knows that guy. He gave what he had. He told told the Lord when he was a, a junior or a senior in high school, he said, I'll give you whatever my ability is. God got him into medical school, and he's been a general surgeon in the Church of the Nazarene for 32 years. And he has touched lives in that whole country because he gave what he had to God. God not only gave enough for everyone to have what they needed, but he had left over. You can't, God cannot give back what you have never gave to him. God cannot give back what you've never gave to him. People ask, well, why doesn't God bless me? Why doesn't God bless us? Maybe you haven't given anything to him to bless. 
Maybe you haven't given anything that he can use. He, you haven't given anything, uh, anything that he, he can't, doesn't have anything to work with. The, the, the miracle does not happen until the gift is given. We want to say, hey, God, let, let me see a miracle, and then I might pitch in a little bit. God says, have faith in me first, and I'll show you a miracle. After the meal, they wanted to make Jesus king. And I asked myself, why? And I thought to myself, so they wouldn't have to worry about food anymore. Imagine if you got this guy around. And he's a walking restaurant. And food just comes out of him. And if we have him around, we're not going we're not to have to work anymore. We're not going to have to pay for food anymore. We're going to have free health care. We're going to have free college. This guy sounds, he's like Bernie Sanders. Oh, that was a terrible thing to say, talking about Jesus and Bernie Sanders. But that's what they think. Isn't that the way we think? Oh, I don't want to. You know, the truth of it is we don't want to count on God for anything. We don't want to worry about anything. Hey, we don't have to worry about our health care. Oh, that's great. If I don't have to worry about paying for college, oh, that's great. If I don't have to worry about paying for my house, oh, that's great. We don't want to trust God. We don't want to trust him every day. They didn't want, they wanted to not have to worry anymore. We don't want to rely on God for what he can give us every day. We don't, we don't want to, to eat this meal and then have to rely on God for the next one. We want God to fill our pantry and have a semi-truck parked out in the driveway so we don't have to worry anymore. They didn't want to trust God every day. We don't want enough for today. We want enough for next week and for a month and for a year. We don't want to trust God every day, and that's the way they were. We want to trust him uh, every now and then when it's comfortable. When Jesus fed the the Israelites out in in the desert, he would feed them manna. And he said, just gather enough for today. And some of them would try to gather more than than they were supposed to have, and it would ruin and on, on, on the Sabbath, they would gather twice as much and it would stay. And, and, and if, if you gathered more than you needed, you'd only have enough. And if you didn't gather, if you didn't gather, if you didn't gather enough, you would still have enough. Jesus, God, in the, in, the, in, the, in, in, in the Israelites' life, gave them enough, just enough, for every day. And when that meal was done, they had to trust him for the next one. We don't, want to, we don't want to trust him that far. We want to know that when I get done with today, I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. We don't trust him. And we don't want to trust him. Because we like to be comfortable. We want to make him king. We don't want to make him the God of our life that we have to trust. When we get done with this day, we're going to have to trust him for tomorrow. But that's what he asks of us. The little boy understood probably because he was a little boy if he'd have been an adult he would have never done it but the little boy was naive and he had precious little kid faith and he said i believe you here you go that's the way we need to be don't you love little kids they're so naive and they just go through life like eh, you know, everything will be all right you know god god would like for us to be a little bit that way God would like for us to say, okay, I'm going to give like your God that you can take care of me. I'm going to give the talent I have and the time I have and the treasure I have like you can really take care of me. 
we, we would really like to be to the place that we don't have to rely on God at all, wouldn't we? When they, was, when they had the, uh, when that, what was that? The Powerball or whatever it was, with like a billion dollars. Me and, me and Kale Ivy was coon hunting one night, and he goes, what would you do with a billion dollars? I said, I don't have any idea. I'd like to think I'd give it away, you know. I'd like to think that I would be like the most generous person in the world, but I'm not going to say because I probably wouldn't be. Kale said, you know, you'd learn, you'd earn, he'd figured it up, and it was like $10 million a year just in interest. And you think, you think I couldn't even spend that fast enough. I couldn't, I couldn't even keep ahead of it, but I probably could. But when we start thinking about that, we think, we, we, we think about that, and everybody, I mean, all over the world, I mean, not all, I don't know all over the world, but, they were something, but all over America, everybody was buying that. Why? So they would never have to worry about anything else again. There's something about getting into that place, and we, we want to get to that place where we don't have to worry about anything. And you know what? That's not where God wants us. God wants us in a place where we are relying on him every day. But we would really like to get to a place where we don't have to rely on God. What an arrogant place to be. What an arrogant place to be to say, you know, God, I I have so much. I have so much that I, I I just don't need you. You know what would happen if God took us up on that? Our air would be gone like that. The, the spark of life that's in us that keeps us going, God's like, okay, I'll, I'll leave you alone. And we'd be dead. Every breath we take, the spark of life that is in us, that, that keeps us going, comes from him. Every breath you take is a gift from him. We are never at the place where we are not relying on God, ever. It's just that we're not smart enough to know it. And he likes us in that place where we are relying on him. He likes us to be there. Imagine if you were working for someone and you took the funds that uh, was supposed to be to run that business and, and you started funneling them towards yourself and you started uh, using them for all the things that you wanted to use and, and the boss comes back and says, where's all this money at? And you say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to have it back. And you say, well, I've kind of got it wrapped up in kind of all of my things right here. Isn't that the way God does sometimes? God comes to us and says, you know, here, here's a need. I would, like, uh, I would like for you to give or to do something here. And you say, well, I'd really like to, but all of your stuff is wrapped up in my stuff. I read, a, I read a quote, and I don't know exactly what it was, but it said it was most of God's money is wrapped up in Christians' things and not to where it can be used quickly it's not liquid does that make sense it's all wrapped up in our stuff and god seeks us to be seeks for us to be very generous and seeks for us to give how much of god's money is tied up in our things and we're okay with that we just believe that we know better how to use it than god does the more uh 
who, wh- where is things going to be, where's things going to be used better in God's hands or in our hands? We think that things can be done better if they're used, if, if I have control than if God can, has control. Folks, we can trust God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we can trust God with everything? That we can be in that place where we just live every day trusting him? We can trust God. I wonder how many miracles we miss because we just don't trust God. How many lives could be changed if we just trusted God? You remember when the disciples had had been out all night fishing and Jesus sees them and tells them to cast their net on the other side. John 21 tells this story. Jesus is about to go back up to heaven. It's after his resurrection. He's about to ascend into heaven. He's on the bank and they're getting ready to come in from a long night of fishing and they hadn't caught any fish. Now you have to understand this. They're professional fishermen. This is what they did for a living. They're professional fishermen and they haven't caught any fish. I hate to tell people when I go fishing and they say, did you catch anything? I'll say, "Mm, no. And I'm not even a professional fisherman. I'm not even any good at it. But you hate to say no. I mean, you hate to say you got skunked. But that's where it was. Uh, I was talking to uh, the Mashburns. Didn't you say that Kevin Van Dam didn't catch any fish that one day? Kevin Van Dam is like the Tiger Woods of bass fishing. And he comes in the second day of a tournament. And he has caught nothing. Okay, this is like it is with the disciples. They've, they're coming in and Jesus is like, hey, did you catch anything? And they're like, no. And he goes, uh, maybe you should try the other side of the boat. And you have to wonder if they weren't like, uh, you know, we're professional fishermen and really you're just a carpenter. And sometimes we think we know better. You know, God, I mean... <laughs> I know, I know you are God and you've created everything and, and you, but right here in this little, I'm pretty good in this area of my life. I'm pretty good at this. I, I've fished a few times. You ever watch Andy Griffith when he's talking about his geraniums or whatever it is? He's talking about these flowers and he's arguing with this guy and he goes, when it comes to geraniums, I'm a giant. I know all about them. Anyway, I don't know why I said that, but anyway, Andy Griffiths was, he was like, and it's like Jesus, Jesus says, okay, but I want you to do this. And we say, no, I really think I've got a, I really think I know better than you. And they could have said, you know, we're, we're just not going to, the average width of a boat in that day was about eight feet long, eight feet wide. So the difference between nothing and a miracle was eight feet and being obedient. And they said, because you're Jesus, we'll cast our net on the other side. And they caught 153 large fish. If you're a fisherman at all, you, you count. That's how, I mean, that's how you brag, you know? How many fish you catch the other day, Joe? About 20. Yeah, he, he knows exactly how many he caught. I can tell you how many I caught the last time I went fishing. It's been six months ago. We caught seven. All right? And most of them were my 
son-in-law catching them. But anyway, you, we always go by the boat count, you know, however many. I can tell you how many fish me and Sammy caught. The last time we went, we caught 30 whites. 30. It was a great trip. You keep count. I don't know why they put that in there. I think they just put that in there for fishermen. 153. Eight feet was the separation between nothing and a miracle. I wonder how many miracles we miss because we don't trust God. It should be about eight feet from a miracle and we miss it. Or we'd be just a few moments away from a miracle, but we're not... We're stingy with what we have. We don't give what we have. We don't give like we should. Imagine what what would happen if we would give. Ever feel like you're telling God, hey, look, I got this. I got this. I'm going to be okay. I felt that way about my back this morning. I really got under conviction that I hadn't had you pray for my back. I don't, I, don't like, I, don't like to, I don't like to be prayed for, for stuff like that. I always think God's got bigger, better things to do than worry about my sorry back. But this morning, I got under conviction for that. I want to be prayed for. I want, I, I want this back because it's time for fishing, and this arm's killing me. I got to, I got to get my casting arm back. But we, I could have said, you know, hey, God, I got this. I'll go up there to the physical therapy guy and he'll figure me out and we'll get this. Don't worry about me, God. You're, there's bigger fish to fry than my shoulder. But God says, I want you to rely on me for everything. For your back, for your food, for the air that you breathe, everything. And we don't need to say, God, I've got this. I, I know better than you. Because when we do things like that, we may be just a few feet away from a miracle. I remember when Joe called me about his nose. That thing was causing him all kinds of trouble. And he called, he called expecting, didn't you? He called the church expecting that we were going to pray and expecting that something was going to happen. Somebody else would have said, it's just my nose. But God touched him like that. Touched him like that. That could, have, that could have been the difference between a few. The last time you had something like that, how long did it last? Three weeks. Three weeks of pain or just a few days of pain? And he was fixed. Joe was that close to a miracle and he moved and asked and God gave it to him. There might be some things in your family. There might be some things in your home. There might be some things in your life that if you'd start praying expectingly for a miracle and move and listen to what God says and give and move in your life. And I'm not talking about money tonight. I'm just talking about just being what God calls you to be, giving what he calls you to give. And and just whatever, your time, whatever, I don't care. But when we say we got this, God, you go help someone else when we miss out on a miracle. I think everybody, most everybody at the place that day thought my little bit won't make a difference. But I want to tell you, if you don't give what you have in your time, your talent, and your treasure, what you don't give will never matter. You understand that? What you don't give will not matter. 
What you do give does matter. What you do give then can be used. And a little bit in God's hands can accomplish much. But we want a little bit in our hands where it can't accomplish anything. This miracle was to show that God can do big things if we will just trust him with the little things. God is willing to do big things if we are willing to give him the little things of our life and to obey him in the little things of our life. Let's stand. Father, I pray tonight that you would speak through your word. Father, help us not to uh, keep you from doing the miracles you seek to keep because we do not trust you. Father, help us to trust you with every part of our life, with our, with our living, with our time, with our talents. Father, help us to give them readily to you to be used. And Father, help us to expect bigger things than what we've been expecting. Help us to give freely so that if you would seek to do something huge and big, that you would have what you would need to do it and that we would not hinder you from doing that. Help us to realize that what we have in our hands, if it would be in your hands, could be used for great things. And I pray that you've spoken to our hearts tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.